<laughs> it's great husband. Hey. Hey, it's Jay. Um, am I a great husband or what? This is a great, One of those, this is yeah. Great idea. Um, hey, did you fire up the grill? Uh-huh. That looks good. I am a good cook. I am gonna I am out. If you could fix me a drink, I'm gonna go change clothes and I'll be back. To bless you. Feels much better. You know, the ties are. Do you mind? No. I do not mind. I do not mind making dinner for you every night of the week if that's what it takes for you to relax. Speaking of, you keep on just chilling, and I'm gonna go chill by the grill, and then uh, just when these steaks are marinated, come bring them to me. Did you marinate those? They look kind of not quite enough. Do a little bit more. Ask you to do one thing. Baby, you need to kick back and relax. Just kick back. Oh, and make a cake. Beef tips. This is the beef. The tips in the jar. Beef well done. It's well done. Look how delicious that looks. It's perfect. That one's mine. Woohoo! Oh, you know, we do not do this enough. I mean, eating, you know, good food. All right. Would you like to do the honors and put them on the plate? I love the way you do it. I'm going to say grace while you do that. Father God, go ahead and start it. Father God, thank you so much for this delicious meal that I have made and that you made the cow first. And just please bless us tonight as my wife takes a well-earned break, partly earned. In Jesus' name. All right. Did you make fruit? No fruit. Woo! I don't see how you do this every night, to be quite honest. But I could eat it every night. And I think, you know, that is a hint. Oh, <laughs> I like steak. It really does feel good. Proof positive. It feels really good to bless your spouse. Huh. And the best part is, you're not to do the dishes. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that out loud, but I knew you'd get a big kick out of it. Not now. <laughs> All right, how many of you laughed? Some of you were afraid to, right? Some of you guys were afraid to laugh. Uh, this guy needs some lessons in serving, and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. No one is born with a servant's heart. Nobody is born with a servant's attitude. Well, if nobody's born that way, yet God expects us to be that way, how do you become a servant? Well, this is first on your listening guide. By the way, if you try to get on to version today, it wasn't working this morning. I don't know if anybody's been able to get on to that. Um, so you're out of luck, and you're going to have to do it the old-fashioned way and write on paper. But it's by develop, developing into a servant is by an act of the will. You choose to be a servant, and sometimes you have to choose over and over and over every day. 
We hold in highest regard those people that have served us, not the people that are paid to serve us, but the people who choose to serve us. And I think if we uh, were to take just a few minutes, you could come up with names and faces of people who have blessed your life, not because they had to, but because they wanted to, and we hold them in high regard because of that. Um, My niece is uh, married, has three boys of her own, but 26 years ago, she was in second grade. And she had to write a paper for Grandparents' Day. So she decided to write a paper about my mom and dad. And she calls them Mima and Papa. That's what all the grandkids call them. So she was writing this paper and she said, My Mima is a shopper. Because that's all she'd ever seen my mom do is shop. And my mom got a kick out of that because my mom is a shopper. Half of half, you know, 75% off. Mom likes to get all those sales racks. That's all she does. And then she loves to tell you how cheaply she got that gift for you. It's just this big competition thing. And then she wrote, my, my Mima is a shopper. And then she wrote, My Papa is a fixer. And the reason she wrote that is because dad, ever as long as I can remember, anytime dad has visited any of his children in their homes, dad's not content to just sit there. Dad will sit just long enough to get antsy, and then he'll go looking for something to fix. If there's a door that's squeaking, he fixes it. If there's, a, if there's a screen door that's falling off, he fixes that. He's taking toilets out that I didn't even know were not working correctly at my house. And I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? Well, the toilet's not working right. And it's out in the front yard before I even know it. Dad finds stuff to fix all the time. And so uh, my, my niece, that's what she said, is my papa is a fixer. He fixes all kinds of things all the time. So... Probably, uh, I guess it was about 10 years ago, dad was 73. No, this was 15 years ago. Um, actually, 17 now. Wow, got to do all my math. When we first moved to Palestine, we just bought a house. We didn't have a yard, anything like that. And um, dad was 73 at the time. And dad um, calls me up and he says, hey, I hear you're putting in a sprinkler system. I said, yeah. And he said, I'll come help you. 73 years old. So dad comes and spends 10 days helping me put a sprinkler system in. If you've ever done that, it's not fun. Dad, um, then later, two years later, we decided to go on this mission trip to Montana where we were going to be building a church. And so dad says, I want to go on that. So mom and dad go with us. And mom watches Caleb and and Rachel because they were babies. Hannah wasn't even here yet. And dad was helping us fix this church. And and at one point in the mission trip, everybody leaves except like four people. And it was me and my dad and and Wes was there. and, And I don't remember who the other person was. And so we were trying to put the shingles on this church. And it was massive amounts of shingles that we had to put on. Well, um, Wes doesn't like heights. Yeah, he's, he's waving back there. He knows where this story's going. So I'm up there and, and dad goes, well, I'll come up there and help dad 75. So dad comes, comes up on the roof and we actually needed a third person on the roof. And my dad says, Wes, why aren't you up here? And he says, cause I don't like being up high on top of things. And my dad says, I'm 75 years old. Get your butt up here. And so Wes climbs the ladder, comes up there to serve with us. Because when a 75 year old man says that you, you do that. Dad's just this servant guy. Well, uh, then when he was 81, he and mom came to visit us for Easter one time and my lawnmower was messed up. Well, that's what dad's been doing for years is fixing lawnmowers. So at 81, though, he's got some issues. He had hit his funny bone so hard that he no longer has much feeling in his hand. And so his right arm is a little bit shriveled up and he can't feel and he can't grip like he used to. And he's right handed. So dad's sitting out there. Dad walks with a cane. He's bent over because it's too painful to stand upright anymore. But he's out there on a, a cinder block watching me fix my mower and he's telling me how to do it. You know, he can do it from memory. And so he's just watching me and I'm doing all the stuff, fixing everything. And so we're having this great conversation. 
And I said to dad, I said, dad, you know, um, Janie and I are thinking about building some stuff around the house, you know, just conversation. I wasn't, wasn't hinting at anything. And some of it was pretty physically strenuous as before we had a shed. My brother gave us a shed years ago before we had that. We're going to build this shed. We're going to do all this stuff. And dad, 81. Now at this point, he's having trouble seeing out of one eye. Now at 90, he's, he's blind in that eye. But at 81, he goes, give me a call. I'll come help you. And I'm going, for real, dad? Isn't it time that you, you kind of sit back and relax? No. My dad, at his core, is not a fixer. He's a server. He has chosen to serve people throughout his life. And everybody in the community knows my dad. If you need something, you call my dad. Now, it'll take you eight years to get your lawnmower fixed nowadays. Um, I'll, he calls me and says, hey, I sure wish you'd come fix some stuff for me. So when I'm home, that's what I do. I go out and help him fix lawnmowers that he then breaks because he's blind and he runs over stuff. But that's besides the point. 90 years old, my dad is still mowing the lawn, trying to. He still goes out and picks weeds and he still thinks he needs to fix everything for everybody because my dad just feels like he's, he's not as valuable sitting down as he would be getting off his rear and serving. And so dad is just this server. Well, I want to talk to you today about how you can become a server as well and how you can do great things for the kingdom of God. In the, in the New Testament, Paul was mentoring a young pastor named Timothy. Timothy was very young in the faith and he very young uh, pastoring this church. Look what Paul tells him about serving in 1 Timothy 4.15. He says, give your complete attention to these matters... Throw yourself into your task. He's talking about serving. He's talking about the things that Timothy was doing in the kingdom of God, specifically for the family of God, the church. He says, throw yourself into these tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Now, this is on your listening guide, so there's some key words I want you to uh, circle here. Throw yourself, circle those two words, and then circle progress. We're going to consider today how you can choose to throw yourself into some tasks for the kingdom of God, and then you're going to make progress in this area of being a servant. And as we look at each level, I want you to ask yourself, am I at this level? Because see, you can't make any progress in life from anywhere if you don't know where you're starting. We're going to look for a reference point. Wherever that is, it's okay, but it's not okay to stay where you are. In the kingdom of God, you're either making progress or you're going away from Christ. We want to figure out where we are today and we want to make a determination that we're going to take us a further step in this area of serving. Now, the first level is the who me level of serving. Who me? You, you want me to do what? It's the lowest level of serving. For this person, serving really never crosses your mind. It's not a natural thing for you. When you see a need, your your natural tendency is just to ignore it. When you hear that we need help back in the children's area, who, me? When you hear that that we need some help serving here or serving it, it's just, who, me? You, You want me to do that? And it's not really a consideration. There could be a time need or a skills need or a financial need, and you really don't even give it a second thought because that's just not who you are. And this could be the attitude, this could describe the attitude of the priest and the temple assistant in the story of the Good Samaritan. We studied this back in February. And you remember that there was a a Jew who left Jerusalem and was accosted by robbers. He was beaten up and thrown into the ditch and and left there for dead. And so a priest comes walking by and, and sees him, walks to the other side. A Levite comes by, the temple assistant. Look what it says in Luke 10, 31 and 32. By chance, a Jewish priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and passed him by. Who, me? You want me to help somebody who's, who's poor? I've just been at church. 
what more do you want from me? I've just served at church. You know, I need to get home and take a nap. It is Sunday afternoon. Passes by on the other side. Verse 32, a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but also passed by on the other side. Who, me? You, you want me to serve? I, I just was spending all of my day at church. I've been there since 7 a.m. doing all the work. You want me to do something else? I don't know how many of you, how many of you watched VeggieTales? My kids grew up on VeggieTales. If you've got little ones, you need to have them on VeggieTales. Um, my kids learned a whole lot about Christianity, about the faith through VeggieTales. Well, one of my favorites is called Flibberoo. It's the retelling, it's the, it's the VeggieTales version of um, the Good Samaritan. And what has happened here, Larry the Cucumber, because they're all vegetables, Larry the Cucumber is the, is the Jew who gets beaten up, and he's thrown in a hole upside down, you know, so his head's down in there. And so here is their idea of what the priest and the Levite said when they came by and saw Larry stuck in a hole. We're busy, busy, dreadfully busy. You've no idea what we have to do. Busy, busy, shockingly busy. Much, much too busy for you. Cause we're busy, busy, dreadfully busy. More than a bumblebee, more than an ant. Busy, busy, horribly busy. That's the attitude a lot of people have towards church. I'm busy, busy, shockingly busy. More than a bumblebee, more than an ant. Busy, busy, terribly busy. We'd love to help, but we can't because we're too busy. And this attitude is a lot more common than you might think, not just in the church. A few years ago, there was a 30-year-old woman who was, um, she was a mother of six children. She died in Miami, Florida. She was attacked one night, stabbed. And as she's running from door to door, knocking on doors, screaming for people to help, no one came to the door. And, and she died in a driveway eventually. A police spokesman said, you can only imagine the fear and anxiety she experienced knowing that she was bleeding and dying and the frustration she must have felt in trying to find someone to help her. She couldn't find it. Now, I'm not saying that in the kingdom of God necessarily that it's going to be that critical a situation. But this level has many residents. This level in the church has many residents, but it's no place for a Christ follower. If you are at the who me level of service, I've got a very um, shocking claim for you today. Christ is not on the throne of your life. Because there's no such thing as a Christ follower who sits on the sidelines. God has called us all to be in the game. Well, let's move to a second level. That's a depressing level. Let's move to a second level. Now and then service. When a need presents itself, you will rise to the occasion. This is project-based service. In this level, if you can give yourself for a, a defined period of time, we love beginning and ending times. If you can do that, then you'll serve. And, and I don't at all want to discount this level of service because a great deal has been done for the kingdom of God at this level. This is stuff like short-term mission trips. When we went to Montana or our group that goes for a week every year to Haiti, this is stuff like working in the children's area for a specified amount of time. And by the way, when we start small groups next Sunday night, we're going to need a couple of adult, adult volunteers and we're going going to ask you to serve the fall semester. When we get to the spring, we're going to ask some, some different adults to serve just for the uh, spring semester because we want to begin a teaching program with our children on Sunday nights. As the parents go to homes and they're doing Bible study, we want to teach the kids back there. We don't want it to be just child care. We're going to need some help with that. And so we're going to give you a very specified amount of time and we're going to ask you to serve for that amount of time. 
Now, if you are at this level, it's good, but I'm going to ask you if you're at this level to pay very close attention to details. The way you serve matters. Inattention to details can be a matter of life or death. It's like the story of King Richard III. Now, several years ago, I heard this story, and I went online, and I started checking this story out. King Richard III, Shakespeare wrote a play about him. And uh, I found some websites, all kinds of websites, dedicated, and, and I quote, dedicated to the rehabilitation of the image of King Richard III, who was so shabbily treated by Shakespeare, unquote. I thought that was funny. There are British chapters dedicated to rehabilitating his image. There are American chapters as well. Some people got way too much time on their hands. Shakespeare wrote a play called The Life and Death of King Richard III. In the play, he portrays King Richard as a self-absorbed, insecure man. Well, he tells the story. There was this huge battle that was going to happen in Bosworth in 1845. It would decide who would rule England. The morning of the battle, King Richard wanted his horse to be worked on, so he goes to the blacksmith so he could be ready uh, for him to ride out in front of his army. The blacksmith had already been working on the horses of all of the rest of the army, so when the king comes, of course he takes his horse, but he discovers that he has a problem. Since he's been working all night on all the other horses, he is one nail short of finishing the last shoe on King Richard III's horse. But he did the best he could with what he had. And the enemy was advancing. The king couldn't wait. So the king um, gets his horse and he takes off. And he begins riding up and down the, the field encouraging his men. But at the most critical point in the battle, when he sees that his men are being overrun, King Richard spurs his horse and he runs as hard as he can towards that battle that point so, because he's going to encourage his men. And of course, what happens? He loses a shoe. It's the shoe that had one that was one nail short of securing it. The horse goes down. King Richard is thrown. The frightened horse gets up, runs away, and King Richard realizes this is the pivotal point of the battle. And so he waves his sword in the air and he utters the immortal words recorded in Shakespeare's play. A horse a horse, my kingdom for a horse. But there was no horse, so he couldn't get where he needed to go. King Richard was killed that day, and his army was overrun, and it was the end of King Richard's dynasty. Since that time, there's been a saying, for one of a nail, a shoe was lost. For one of a shoe, a horse was lost. For one of a horse, a battle was lost. For one of a battle, a kingdom was lost, all for want of a nail. What does that mean for us? Well, here's what it means for us. Even one nail matters. The smallest deed done in the name of Christ counts in the kingdom of God. Jesus said if we give a cup of cold water to a little child in his name, it matters. Changing a diaper back here matters. Hugging a kid when they come in the door matters. Teaching Children, the the word of God matters. Leading a Bible study matters. Fixing breakfast for the men this morning matters. All of this stuff matters in the kingdom of God. Because I think there could be a saying about the church. For one of a teacher, a child was lost. For one of a child, a classroom was lost. For one of a classroom, a family was lost. For one of a family, a church was lost. All for one of a teacher. To serve children. Don't discount the level. But don't stay at that level. There's another level that goes beyond the now and then service level. Some folks want their lives to matter more than the occasional acts of service. This level we'll call the sign me up level. 
And by the way, as we go to each of these levels, the number of people at the level shrinks. You want to know why? Because the cost is higher. The amount of time and energy and sacrifice is higher. But these folks at the sign me up level, they said, you can count on me to serve, count on me to give, count on me as part of the team. Not just occasionally, but all the time. You need something done, you let me know. There's a few people in the church who have said that over and over. You need something, you call me. And I get scolded if I do something without calling them. You can build a church on these type of people. They say, they say I'll be a regular part of the team. You can count on them for a certain level of giving. Put me on the schedule because I'm going to serve. In fact, in, in Janie's classroom, and, and this is what we're encouraging all of the children's workers to do, as soon as they serve, she has out the calendar and she says, sign up for next month. And she's got this rotation going on where in her classroom you don't serve more than once a month. Sometimes every six weeks or eight weeks. One time you give up your time in here so that you can go back and serve children. And I'm going to tell you something. I will guarantee you if you begin to serve, you'll learn more serving than you will sitting. I don't care how good the sermon is or isn't. You will never learn as much sitting there as you will learn when you begin to serve at this level. You can never sustain a a church or grow a church without a significant amount of people at this level. And as we grow larger, we're going to need more people at the sign me up level. This level has a higher price tag. But the serving is worth the cost because you begin to see your life making a difference. I'll tell you the coolest thing is when we're in in Walmart and one of these children sees Janie. And sometimes it's two or three years after they've left her class. They never forget Miss Janie. And, and, you know, she's pretty. I I guarantee you that. But that's not why they remember. You know why they remember? Because every week she loves them. She feeds them. She teaches them about Jesus. It happens in all of our classrooms back there. And the teachers will tell me from time to time, the coolest thing is seeing a kid not here at church who runs up to me. And and this happened one time with with Jennifer. She was telling me just recently, this was a kid that she thought didn't like her because they're butting heads a lot back there. And the kid ran up to her in Walmart and gave her a big hug and said, hi, Miss Jennifer. She said it melted her heart because she felt like God gave her a little pat on the back and said, what you're doing matters. There's another level, and this is called being spiritually strategic. The Bible tells us that whenever a person crosses the line of faith, when they ask Jesus to be the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life, then you get something from God called His Holy Spirit. And you begin to serve in a specific way, in a specific ministry. Um, you're You're given a spiritual gift is what the Bible calls it. You still have a towel over your arm and you serve wherever is needed, whenever is needed, but you move to a more strategic level of serving and you have a higher dimension that is razor sharp through the exercise of a God-given gift. This is where real significance comes to your life. Everyone who becomes a child of God, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside your life and begins to change you from the inside out. When you get the Holy Spirit and that you get all of the Holy Spirit that you're going to get, the Holy Spirit doesn't get everything of you until you surrender it, but you get all the Holy Spirit that you're going to get when you come to Christ. When you begin to yield to that Holy Spirit, God reveals to you at least one spiritual gift. Every Christ follower has at least one. And he, he gives you this and he enables you to serve his kingdom through the use of this gift. In the Bible, you never see a Christ follower sitting on the sidelines. You don't serve because you want to be saved. You serve because you're grateful that God has rescued you from a hopeless situation. And you just want to say thank you. Here's my life, God. Take my life and use it because I'm so grateful that you saved me from a Christless eternity. 
Now, I put this on, on of course, I put this on uh, version, and nobody can access it today. But here, I didn't put this on the listening guide. A spiritual gift is a supernatural ability given by God to His children. It enables them to make a difference in the world um, through serving Christ in the local church. Now, I want you to look at how this is described in the Bible, Ephesians 4, 7. Christ has given each of us special abilities. Now, this is the living translation, and so the, the literal um, translation is spiritual gift. God has given us a spiritual gift, which is a special ability, whatever he wants us to have out of his rich storehouse of his gifts. Since God decides who gets which gift, we can't say that any one gift is better than another. It's special because it was handpicked by God for you, and that, uh, that is why when you use your gift in serving, God gives it a supernatural dimension. It has an eternal dimension to it. There are speaking gifts such as teaching. There are people gifts like counseling, encouragement, hospitality, leadership. There are serving gifts like administering and cooking. Some of you have the serving gift of cooking. Others don't. Um, What makes them spiritual is they are bestowed upon you by God and fanned into flame within you by God after. Capital A, capital F, capital T, capital E, R. After you have become a Christ follower. So you have natural gifts. Talents and abilities that came from the moment you were born. Some of you are naturally inclined to, to be artistic or, or athletic or whatever. A spiritual gift comes to you after you come to Christ. And it's given to you by God. He chooses. And so when you give your life to Christ, He makes you a 10 in some area. God doesn't mess up. He chose you to use your life in a specific way. And when you figure that out, you have this sense of fulfillment and purpose as you begin to use that gift given to you by God. Now... You will never discover your spiritual gift apart from the body of Christ. Because here's what's hap- what happens. You begin to do something. And you're just experimenting. You're just serving because you want to serve. People in the body of Christ, mature followers of Christ, will come up to you and they'll begin to say, Dude, when you did this, that was excellent. And you go, Wow, I, I was just being obedient. Thank you for that. Um, I was a youth minister when I was in college at Baylor. And uh, I remember my pastor asked me nine months ahead of time if I would preach for him. And see, I've discovered that if you ask somebody far enough in advance, they'll say yes, because it's just there's no pressure. So you just back up 12 months. Hey, will you preach for me next year? Sure. And then as it starts coming up, (gasps) and that's what happened to me. And so I prepared my first sermon, and I called my brother, who's kind of a spiritual mentor to me, and we talked through some scripture. And I gave my sermon, and and, you know, I was a little nervous and, and stumbled a little bit. Well, a deacon's wife came up to me. She was pretty hard to please. She came up to me afterwards. She said, you're going to be a preacher. And I said, whatever. Um, Next church that I served in, I I preached two or three times. People started coming up and they said, you need to preach. Whatever. I don't want to preach. I've seen the job of a preacher. I've seen how you treat preachers. I don't want to do that. Every time I went somewhere and, and I was youth minister there, I would get to preach. And people started coming up to me and saying, dude, you need to move out of the, the youth area. You need to move into a pastoring role. And partially because the, the people I trusted in my life said, we see you as a pastor, I took that step of faith. Now, through the years, people will come up and they'll say, I'm passionate about this. And there's a difference in passion and being gifted by God. I use this example in our 101 class. Have you ever been in a, in a class where someone was teaching who did not have the gift of teaching? Oh my gosh. Pull your fingernails out. 
rip your eyelids over your head, you know, type of deal, because they don't have the gift. And, and their, their spouse may say, oh, well, you've got this gift. You did so good. And everybody else is going, no, no, please don't let them do it again. Okay, now, I'm not talking about having your ego smashed, but here's what I'm saying. If you do something and nobody tells you you did a good job, maybe that's not your area of service. And it's okay. We want you to experiment. We've had people go back in the children's area and come out wide-eyed and say, please don't make me go back. (laughs) And we're like, dude, the kids were thinking the same thing, so you don't have to go back. It's all right. Don't worry, they'll tell me. Please don't let them come back. And we've had people try to be um, small group leaders. And they just weren't small group leaders. Now, some of you are incredible hosts. People love coming to your house. You should be a host. You don't have to teach. But some of you, you should. Some of you are going to try teaching and and you're going to kind of like it. And somebody's going to say, man, God spoke through you today. And you're going to discover, but you only discover as you experiment and as you are in the body of Christ. If you're separated from the body of Christ, you'll never discover your spiritual gift. And you certainly won't use it to build up the kingdom. The only reason God gives you a spiritual gift is to build up his bride, which is the body of Christ. So you're supposed to be serving somewhere. You're supposed to be in some place. So we've got people who know how to cook and they cook and we are grateful to God for them, aren't we? I am. I tell them all the time. You don't want, you don't want people up here who, who, who can't play or sing, right? You've been there too, hadn't you? Been at concerts where you're going, ah! running for the doors or whatever. So you discover your gift as you get plugged into the body of Christ. And we want you to try different things until you find not only what you feel good at doing, but what others in the body of Christ are telling you is a good thing. Now, let me tell you, we, we don't even know if this is going to work or not. We've been talking about our Wednesday night program. And we were kind of brainstorming the other day. Janie and Jen and I were, were uh, sitting around talking. And we said, what if, what if we had a Wednesday night program where some kids could come? And if they wanted to try beginner guitar, they could go and they could, they could try beginner guitar. What if we had an an area, and and I know Jamie King has talked about this a little bit, what if we had some kids that came on a Wednesday night and they learned a drama skit? And and they found out whether they could do drama. We might be able to raise up some incredible servants in the kingdom of God, and they might discover that when they're six, seven, eight years old. Wouldn't that be great? Because a lot of people don't know at 50 or 60 what in the world they're here for. Wouldn't it be cool if we could teach somebody drums, if we could teach somebody, you know, how to do different things for the kingdom of God now? I think every teenager ought to be serving above seventh grade, ought to be serving at least once a month in the children's area. Once a month. If if you're doing it more than that, you're just trying to get out of the sermon. I mean, dude, I have been there. I was a youth minister for 19 years. I was the youth that every youth minister hated. It's God's sense of humor that I'm a preacher now. But I was. I was a punk. And, and it was because nobody ever... We were watching in our men's Bible study today, and he said, one guy noticed him. And, and my problem was, I love my dad, but my dad wasn't a spiritual leader in my home. My dad didn't teach me how to follow Christ. And so, until 
some of these children, until some of these young boys, until an older man notices them and calls out the good in them, they're going to be rambunctious. They're going to be hell raisers because they don't know. They're confused. We need some adults to step up, especially. We got a lot of single moms here. We need some guys to step up and love on children and show them that, yeah, there really are good guys in the world. There are really guys that are trying to follow Christ and do things. So as you discover, discover your spiritual gifts, here's what I want you to remember about this. This is on your listening guide. Gifts are not toys to be played with. Here's the problem. If you start doing something and somebody starts telling you you're really good at it, you know what the devil starts whispering in your ear? He starts whispering that you're doing it for you. And, and he wants you to start patting yourself on the back. And he wants you to start doing it for the glory of men and not for the glory of God. And so you've got to fight that. And so what? I remember a teacher years ago, um, I would go around and sing. And I was in these groups and they would sing. And my teacher said, when someone gives you a compliment, don't go, oh, no, I'm terrible. You know, that type of thing. She said, look them in the eye and say, thank you. And, and I've tried to practice that since. And so if somebody comes up and says, man, you did a good job, just say, thank you comes from God. If somebody tells me, man, you spoke to me today, I said, no, it wasn't me. Thank you for that compliment. But, but honestly, if, if you got something out of the message today, it must have been God's supernatural spirit taking my message and putting it in your heart. Thank you for the compliment, but it's not about me. And serving in the body of Christ is not about you. It's not toys to be played with. You don't use your gift to say, look at me, look at me. I've seen a lot of people misuse spiritual gifts, and it's why a lot of folks are very against coming to church anymore. It's because they've seen that. So if they're not toys to be played with, what are they? They're tools to build with. And do you know what you're supposed to build with your spiritual gift? The church. The whole reason God gives you a supernatural ability is so that you can build up the body of Christ. So two things every Christ follower is expected to have. A ministry in the church... And a mission in the world. If you do not have a ministry in the church, you're not being pleasing to your Heavenly Father. All right, there's one last level. It's the deepest and most profound level. And I'm just calling it becoming dangerous. Now, you can use the word dangerous in good or bad ways. Um, some driving I've seen is dangerous in a bad way, um, but we're going to use it in a good way. We say we want to build a safe place. For, for 10 years, we've been saying we want to build a safe place where people who are far from God can come and hear the message of Jesus Christ in a safe place, but in a dangerous way. It's dangerous because if you meet Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, as the leader and forgiver of your sins, He will change you. That's why it's dangerous. That's why a lot of people resist it, is because they're afraid of what God will do to them or through them. At this level, you abandon your own life and you say, God, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to say yes before you ask me because I'm grateful that you saved me and I want my life to matter more than just this lifetime. And see, I said this before, you can't stand still. You're either moving towards Christ, which means the kingdom of God is advancing when you're using your spiritual gift or you're moving away from God and the kingdom of God is hurt because you are not using your spiritual gift. Now, let me tell you about a couple of dangerous servers that I've heard about. One I know personally. First one is this woman um, had a miscarriage. And she was explaining to her pastor that because of complications, she was going to be almost an invalid for about six weeks. 
Her husband was going to have to serve her by feeding her, by carrying her to the bathroom, by helping her go to the bathroom, and then carrying her back to bed. And as she's telling this story to the pastor, tears began to fill her eyes, and she said, but I have a husband who serves me like that. And her quote was, I don't know why God has blessed me so, but he has. And my husband will serve me. And then she said, she said, this morning, my husband took me to the bathroom. And when he came back to help me again, he acted like it was a privilege to serve me. That dude is a dangerous server. A friend of mine named Chris Irvin, he's a pastor in, in Heiko, Texas. He's a dangerous server. I've learned a lot from this guy. Um, several years ago, he was able to lead a drug dealer, not just a drug user, but a heavy drug addict dealer to Christ. And he walked him every step of the way through getting clean. And then when the guy is really on fire for Christ and he's starting to do some things with his life, he's trying to get a job. He's trying to be a productive member of society. And he couldn't get a job. And so one day Irv comes in and he says to his wife, Honey, I I think the Lord says we're supposed to give him our truck. Because he can't get a job because he has no transportation. And, and his wife, now he does stuff like this all the time. So she's not totally shocked, but she's a little shocked. She goes, uh, okay. And so she goes and prays about it. She comes back and she goes, you're right. And so they give the dude the truck. And he's able to get a job. You think that guy will ever forget Chris and Andrea Irvin? No, because they were dangerous in their serving. A couple of weeks later, after that, a 19-year-old uh, single mom, she has an 11-week-old daughter, gets sick. And she didn't have anyone take care of her. So in the middle of the night, she calls Chris and Andrea and they take her to the emergency room and then they bring her home because the medicine they gave her, they couldn't do anything that night. They had to wait till the next day for a sonogram. And so they gave her a shot, knock her out. They bring her to the house. So Chris and Andrea take care of the baby all night. Uh, the medicine they gave her after, you know, they did some stuff that knocked her out. And so Andrea ends up taking care of this little 11 week old baby for several weeks. And then about the third or fourth week that they're there, the 19 year old wakes up and she goes, man, my head's itching bad. Andrea goes and looks and this, this girl had such a, a bad infestation of lice that Andrea and another lady in the church combed her hair from 3.30 p.m., until 10.30 p.m. to get all the lice out. Now, I ask you, will that 19-year-old single mom ever forget Chris and Andrea Irvin? No, because they're dangerous servers. My prayer for you is that a year from now, you're not the same that you are right now. Whatever level you're at, you need to be moving deeper in your relationship with Christ. And you don't get deeper by sitting and soaking up a sermon. You get deeper by making some choices to get off your butt and serve. So when you came in today, you got a ministry possibilities, right? Anybody not get that sheet? Raise your hand if you didn't get one. We will get you one. Dwayne's got them. Keep your hand up. He will come and hand one. I think there's one. needs to be one in the crying baby room too, Dwayne. Keep your hand up. We want you to fill these out before you leave and put them back in the registration card basket. One person. Good job, Mike. We'll give you a second chance in a minute. Mike was the only one listening. Everybody got one? One right here. 
Still need one or two back there and over in this, at the back there, Duane, and then over in the far section. Okay, now, in order to lead a small group or to be one of the directors in our children's area, you have to be a church member. But in other areas, you don't have to be a church member to serve. If you want to serve the kingdom of God, God we'll find you an appropriate place to serve. Now, let's finish with this. King David in the Old Testament, one of the, one of the heroes of the Old Testament, he was called a man after God's own heart. He was obedient to God and God used him. There's a verse in the New Testament that sums up David's life. And I kind of hope that it sums up mine. And I kind of hope that it sums up yours someday as well. Acts 13, 36 says this. David served God's purpose in his own generation. Then he died. I mean, that's, that's a real short statement. I'd love to have that on my, on my tombstone. Doug served God's purpose in his generation. I've tried to explain to my dad that, that the church we're trying to build, I'm not trying to reach my dad's generation. I'm trying to reach the next generation. And so the way God has wired me, we have to do things a little bit differently. We'll use a veggie tales. We'll use some other stuff we got down that we're going to show you down the road that you'll just have to see to believe. I, you wouldn't believe it if I told you ahead of time. David did his job when God put him on the planet, then he died. And see, God didn't mess up by putting you at this time, at this place. I know a lot of people hate Palestine, but Janie and I intend to be here working in this church until Christ returns or until he takes me from here. Because I can't think of anything I'd rather be doing than serving in this church. But the biggest struggle we have is that as we grow larger, we're not really going deeper spiritually. And so we want you to serve and learn. So we offer small groups. You're not going to grow spiritually apart from other Christ followers. So you need to be in a small group. You need to be here next Sunday night. It's just going to be fun next Sunday night. And then we're going to divide up and go to homes the weeks after that. Child care will be provided. You need to serve in one of our ministries. And if we don't have one, maybe God is sending here to, for you to start a new one. But here's the thing. God wants you to do your job right now, right here in Palestine, as long as you're in Palestine. And you may be going somewhere else. And yay, that's awesome. Go somewhere else and serve God. But do not sit. Because you can't please God while you're sitting. He wants you to serve His purposes in this generation. And then when you stand before Him, that's when you get the good job. Because you did what I made you to do. So my question to you is this. What are you doing to serve God's purposes right now? What are you involved in? If the answer is nothing, then what are you going to do about it? So take your registration cards. Let me uh, give you just a couple of things real quickly. Fill those out. And then on the back, here, I want you to write down what level you're currently serving at. There's the who me level. And, and nobody's going to condemn you if you're at the who me level. We're going to encourage you to move deeper, but nobody's going to condemn you. Write that down. The now and then service, if you're there, there's nothing wrong with that. Just don't stay there. The sign me up level, we need more of those people. Spiritually strategic, that means you want to discover your spiritual gift. You want to, to move deeper and you want your life to have some eternal significance. Then that dangerous thing. I just don't want to be an ordinary Christ follower. Because in Scripture, there's no such thing. There's only extraordinary ones who give their lives to an extraordinary God and He does extraordinary things through them. Let's pray together.
will be dismissed.